before I, uh, before I be begin my talk this morning, um, I, uh, I have to get hold of myself, recognize some folks who came here who ordinarily don't come here. Uh, my daughter, Rachel, uh, whom I'm so proud of, she... <clears throat> She uh, had her oral exam for her master's degree Monday and passed with honors. And she came here just because I'm up here. And my very good friend Absalom and Yusuf and Abraham. Uh, <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry if I embarrass you, but you honor me this morning. Uh, somebody's wanting to honor you also. <laughs> you, uh, you honor me by being here with me and my Christian family. And uh, I'd like to say, Salam Aleikum. Thank you. Uh, I want to read this ending of Jesus' last prayer before his death and resurrection. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one. As we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me before, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for, uh, for this record that makes it um, so clear even though it's hard to, uh, hard to take in how important our oneness is. That um, nearly everything depends on it. And I ask you, Father, that um, you would help me speak clearly words which please you and uh, words which build up this body. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, it's, it's hard to express how profound the statement that Jesus made was in this prayer that, that our unity, our unity, to the degree that we're unified is the key to the world knowing Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's really, it's... It's huge. It's it's uh, it is profound. Um, the apostle Paul wrote in Romans twelve and First Corinthians twelve that 
this body, this church that was formed um, as followers of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ. It is the physical presence of Christ in the world. The way by which those who don't know Jesus Christ can experience his love, his grace, his magnificence. It, as one begins to think about it, I, I think it leads to thoughts about what, how important is it that we be unified? What, what kinds of things um, actually do um, work against it? Um, in Ephesians 4, the church, um, we're told, is, uh, reveals the wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In Ephesians 3, the church is the caretaker of God's mysteries of unity to those who were formerly separated. The church is the guardian of the mystery of unity that God made possible in Jesus Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote letters pleading with, with the believers to, to work out their differences, to settle their arguments, to be one in purpose. Um, it apparently is one of the chief targets of the enemy of the church to cause disunity. Um, I think it may be difficult for us who live in this part of the world and who have such a high level of peace and, and um, we have things so good here. It's, I think because I was in the army, I kind of got a different take on unity than than folks ordinarily get to experience. It was the first place that I I learned about unity. It becomes clear to a to a soldier very quickly when he's in a war that he doesn't have choices about much. He has a mission, he can't walk away from it, and he has to do that mission with other people and they depend on one another and it's, uh, it's been the source of some great movies, uh, The Band of Brothers, people who are so different, um, other than speaking the same language, so different, become so close that they are willing to die for one another. It's an amazing thing. And they realize that there are no, they have an enemy, they have an objective, and they really have no latitude about this. And when they come out the other side, they have bonds that are amazing. Um, I remember the day that I was to come home from Vietnam, I couldn't believe it. I'd been counting the hours, and yet I was, I was sad. I was reluctant to leave these people. It was the most mature thing I'd ever experienced in my life. Um, when I came home, uh, from Vietnam, I, um, I had a hunger. I had a hunger for answers to life. And um, I uh, came in contact with a group called The Way, The Way International. Um, and it was easy um, to, to also accept the idea of a unifying mission when I was part of them. Um, the Way, which may not be familiar to any of you, uh, it's really dwindled is a cult uh, which called itself a biblical research and teaching ministry. 
Uh, it energized a young generation in the early 70s with the idea that it had a special insight into the gospel message. And uh, it was one that the world needed desperately and which the mainline church had lost. It wasn't hard to make those arguments then. Um, maybe sometimes it could be made now. Um, and it had, it had a characteristic of authenticity that helped bring people into commitment because um, under the teachings of the founder of this organization, um, folks always spoke in tongues, a spiritual manifestation. And for most of us, it was, it was uh, an affirmation that the whole package was the real deal. I committed myself to spreading this message without reservation. I believed it was the highest commitment of myself to God, and there was never any question among the ranks um, about unity because the importance of the mission was never in question. I served in nearly every capacity possible. Being, uh, I spent three years as a urban ministry missionary setting up house churches, and I went through their school, and, um, and I was eventually ordained as a pastor. And I believe that I had my vocation for life. I believe that my calling was, uh, was secure. But uh, with the passage of time, new people rose to power. Um, it became, I wish I could tell you that I saw the light, but it wasn't like that. Um, I believed I did have the light. But being part of it was, was not good. And it became uh, more about money, more about bodies, and... Um, Treatment of people became more harsh. In the beginning, it was all about love. We always talked about love. In the end, it was all about performance. Um, Terry and I decided to leave the way uh, after uh, about 13 years. That was 1984. And uh, during my time there, my mind had been poisoned against the mainline church. It was one of the chief beliefs of the way that the church had dropped the ball, and had given up to the other side. And I had bought into it. And it wasn't an option to me to turn to the mainline church um, to continue a life of service. i got to tell you that it, um, it caused a lot of despair and hopelessness in my life. And, and uh, what had been an, an occasional uh, drinking problem... Um, became a major problem that ended up affecting uh, my children, my wife, and my life. Uh, complete sense of desperation and lack of any hope. Um, God uh, is so gracious, and uh, my wife is so wonderful uh, because um, it took a long time, but um, in 1997, she convinced me to go with her to a little local church, and we happened to go at exactly the right time. It was about the last year of this minister's term there, and he had such a wonderful 
way of communicating the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that I had never understood. Um, And I was a great Bible quoter, uh, but I did not get it. And that experience, that, that joyful experience led to me being able to, first of all, receive God's love in a way I had never received it. I preached about it. I had preached about it a lot, but I had never received it. Hard to believe. And the real love of God through the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ enabled me, empowered me to give up the drinking to enjoy the fellowship. All I can tell you is May is the month I recognize as as when I quit drinking. And it's been 11 years. Uh, I know it's not always pleasant to hear sordid details from a person's life, but um, I want to give glory to God. I want to honor God. I want the gospel message to be recognized for the powerful, powerful thing that it is to transform lives. Um, One thing that that I have to tell you about my experience in the mainline church is that in contrast to my experience in the military and then my experience in the way is that, and it's probably mostly a Western thing and it's probably especially an American thing, that, that the commitment seems to be a little light. The, you know, our, we seem to, maybe be a little blinded by our freedom as American citizens to the fact that that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. You know, the the kingdom of God calls for our obedience and response to him. And yet, what we are able to do to, uh, in so many ways that avoids that is find reasons to divide. We are so good at subdividing. Um, just before the uh, the story that Nikki told, he talked about how the rise of denominations um, in the, I believe the numbers are roughly like this. In the 1900s, there were about 1,500 of them. This is from the result, following Luther nailing his theses on the door of the uh, church. Um, it went from Protestants and Catholics in the West to over 14 or 1,500 denominations in the 1900s and 34,000 in the 20th century. We continue to want to hold on to our own stuff and sacrifice the things of God. It's my personal opinion. And what we think is big stuff probably isn't so big. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about, um, you know, we, it, before I talk about that, I want, to re, I want to tell you about the February issue of Decision Magazine. Uh, Billy Graham 
uh, has an article there, this is this year's, about the clear mandate for the church to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. He states that a church which keeps a message and a program which are true to the prophetic word and keeps an expectancy for the re- return of Christ would remain, in his, this quote, unified, holy, otherworldly, and energetic, balanced with a passion for social reform and social justice. Who could want anything else? Who could want any more? I'd, I'd really like for us to remind each other that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives, and he's coming back for his church. It seems important that we be thinking about that and that it be helping to guide our lives and our behavior. Um, you know, we're told that uh, when Christ returns for the church, one of the things that's going to happen is we're all going to give an account of ourselves. Uh, a lot of Christians don't know that. Um, they don't know that they, there's a process. <laughs> and that's one of the things that occurs. And uh, I'm reminded of uh, Ricky Arnez saying to Lucy, uh, we may have a lot of splaining to do. <laughs> I have uh, a belief that our congregation in this community has an emerging opportunity to overcome and, and reverse. Actually, reverse probably isn't true because it's never existed to to the degree that it can, a disunity that isn't denominationalism. We don't have to correct theology, uh, which is such an easy excuse for us to split. This one came because when we're born in America, we get a heritage package. A lot of it's good, some of it's not. And, and the heritage that we receive as a result of our, our history as being a cu- country of slaveholders, not that all of us had ancestors, I'm poor, okay? Poor all the way back, never owned slaves. Regardless, it doesn't matter. We all have the heritage. It influences our thinking. And we're naive, I believe, to even begin to think that we've got it overcome. And you see it every Sunday morning, the president repeated something that's been said many times, the most segregated hour in the United States of America is 11 o'clock Sunday morning. Essentially, in my opinion, white folks told black folks in every conceivable way, you are not welcome. You can't participate. We got ours. You got yours. You just keep yours. And... I consider it grace when my brother Joe Brooks, for instance, comes to me and wants to have fellowship with me, something I haven't earned, and he gives me this great gift that I can't get on my own. If he's not willing to offer it to me, I can't get it. And that's why um, I asked Joe, who's become a good friend of mine, to, uh, to speak this morning. Uh, I want to want him to talk about his experience. Joe and Helen have joined this church for the explicit purpose of participating in unity. This is not a comfortable place, according to their experience and tradition, um, and it's not always been it's not always been a comfortable place for them to be. And and yet they're here, 
They're members. Joe is a deacon. Um, Joe and Helen have uh, the dance ministry that, uh, that they minister with. Um, and, and they, along with a number of other African Americans in our church, have helped me identify ways that I need to be set free in the way I think. Um, I have been uneasy all the time that I've been a Christian with my persistent feelings of how black Americans are different. And I know it's wrong, and yet I kept feeling it. I have to tell you that I am being set free from that. I, I feel <laughs> a joy of fellowship that I've never felt before. And, uh, and I want Joe to, uh, to be able to tell his side of this. So, Joe... It's the only time I'm face to face with him. <laughs> Let me set one thing straight, Paul. That's God's glory. I'm just being humble, just a humble servant. And it's an honor and pleasure to get to know you. Um, when I first met Paul, it was, it was very uncomfortable. It was taking me out of my comfort zone. Um, but God was moving even then about five years ago. You, you just have to be open to his spirit. It's not always comfortable. But it's just the blessing behind it. And when I first met Paul, he was doing Alpha. And, you know, this guy came to me, opened up, and, you know, I just got to know Terry and Paul I'm looking like and discerning Helen. said, just open. You got to get to know him. Helen, I'll, you know, this is her second or third. She was an Alpha maniac. So I said, well, let me get to know, know these people like you know. But uh, instantly, you know, me and Paul hit off. It, it wasn't nothing. The only thing that was different was Looking at the skin, you know, we come up in a, in, in a, a, a black neighborhood, you, a lot of things, you know, I'm not accustomed to. I'm sure Paul's not accustomed to. He don't know how I feel to be a black man. I don't know how to feel to be a white man. But what we had in common was the love of Jesus Christ. That's what brought us together. So the second week, he reached to shake my hand. I wouldn't shake his hand. And he looked at me. I said, I'm, I'm a hugger. And we hugged. <laughs> and we hugged. And instantly, we sat down and we was at a table and they had to pull Paul to start the Alpha because instantly we just start, we connected. And that's what God, God wanted, he just, he wanted to love the poor and people seeing that. I, I don't look at Paul as a white male. You know, some people might not, not believe that, but to me, Paul is even not a friend. Paul is family to me. You know, and that's what it's about. Jesus is calling his chosen, his family. No, I'm not called to tell Paul or ask Paul to change your political beliefs or anything. That's not what God called me. If he's Republican, Democrat, Independent, that's not important. The important is how can the love that he has and I have for Christ, we can walk, bring the 12 tribes together. You know, his family, my family, uh, through meeting Paul, it, it, it opened up doors for me. It, you know, I'm very, people don't believe it, but I'm, I'm very shy. Even coming up here, I, <laughs> I get very nervous. But, um, you know, through Paul, I met the likes like Lance Brown and his wife, Cindy. I uh, met uh, Dave and his wife, the Snyders, and so forth, the Dumfords. You know, we did College Hill cleanup. We got tired of talking about it. You know, it, it's time to do. And like Paul said, you can quote everything from the scriptures. You know, it's time to put on the armor and let's go show the world the love. And I'm sure the same love that drew me to Paul also drew Absalom to Paul. I mean, to Paul. I, I remember at a wedding, he was telling Paul, you are definitely a man of God. And that's what God calls us to be. He wants people to see the love, not to, to judge this person. This, well, what can we do to make each other better? 
You know, the Ecclesiastes talks about where one is alone, he's in trouble with two. You know, they can uh, put a, a good fight against one and go so forth and so forth. I want to just uh, ask you guys a question. It's just something, you know, Jesus, you know, was asked, which is the greatest commandment? And I'm going to go from Hebrew 11.6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that come to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the main focus in John 17, 21, 22, that catch my eyes is, you know, the prayer that they be one as we are one. We just sung a song, we are one in the spirit. We sing this, but do we really get it? What is it that's keeping us from walking together? What is it keeping uh, just the call someone say, just thinking about you, just want to say I love you? You know, just, man, let's go have coffee. Uh, I fellowship with, with, with people who believe, who doesn't believe. Catholic, Pentecostal, we meet every other Saturday. You know, Peter Steele, uh, Ken Jones, and a few other people here. And, and, and we, just have lo- we just have fun in God. You know, we meet people where they're at. And all we call to do is just love, 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 love. It's a four-letter word, but it's so hard to, to, to follow. I mean, I know I struggle sometimes, but just to walk to, 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 to be unified. But to be unified, we have to understand what unity is. Unity is to be made one. The substance of the being made one, but the united is made one. So that's why I said Paul is not a friend anymore. We're united. He's family. You know, and so even with that, I can go on and go on, but I'm trying to keep it short. Drew gave me that, that evil eye, like, you know, keep it short. But, uh, you know, <laughs> um, so James 5.16 also said, confess your false one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I pray that our unity one day will be made one. But as far as my concern, God is already moving. I've been here for four and a half, five years. My first start, it was very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. People wouldn't say nothing to me. You had cliques here, but they called themselves brothers. But now, as I look back, that's, that's thinning out. Satan had no stronghold anymore. This is God's house, the house of prayer. God bless you. I want to close by uh, voicing uh, something that um, may go to your felt or perceived uh, ideas about the church. I, uh, I do not believe that this place's best days are over. I do not... I do not believe that the size of the congregation in any way reflects its effectiveness for the kingdom of God and whether or not it pleases him. And I believe that, um, that we're at the threshold of opportunities to do ministry, to bring unity to the body of Christ that we have never had in this place before. We don't even have to relocate the campus. It's coming to us. I mean, how great is that? It's not negative. It's a wonderful thing. We have an opportunity to be unified as the body of Christ in a way that maybe none of us have experienced before. I'd like to leave that with you as a word of encouragement. Amen.